This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. This is a true pleasure. I get to talk to a gentleman who played for the San Diego Chargers, the Miami Dolphins. He was a five-time All-Pro, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Larry Little, how are you doing, Larry? I'm doing fine. I see that you went to Bethune-Cookman for college. Was there a lot of recruitment of you back then, or was it basically you wanted to go to a smaller school? No, uh, when I came out of college, you know, it was doing, when I came out of high school, it was doing a time of segregation. So I didn't have a choice to go to a major college. And uh, and actually, I really only had two scholarships come out of high school. That was to Bethune-Cookman, and the other was to a St. Augustine College in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I had to make a decision coming out because all my good friends were going to St. Augustine, all my classmates, all my teammates, and I decided to stay close to the home, so I was at Bethune-Cookman in Daytona Beach. And ironically, my senior year, St. Augustine dropped football, so I made a big choice that was very important to where I am today. So Florida A&M and Jake Gator didn't come after you? No, they didn't. Jake, Jake said I was too small. And, you know, uh, my high school coach played football at Florida A&M. And I got the word later on, all about a hold us against him. He wanted me to go to college. But he didn't think I was good enough to play at Florida A&M. Now, at that time, you were you're about and, six, one, one, Excuse me? At that time, you were about 6'1", 190, right? Around 190, 200, maybe around, around, around two, 205, 210. Okay. And uh, ironically, uh, Jake always played my best games against Sam U when we played him. Although he beat us up all the time, but uh, I had good games against him. So, Grambling, you didn't come after you at all on Eddie Robinson? No, no other schools came after me but St. Augustine and Bethune-Cookman. Now, when you went to high school, was it an uh, all-black school? Booker T. Washington. Was that an all-black school? Yes. Back when I came out, only schools that were around were all-black schools that you could go to. You know, you're talking about the early, the late 50s and the early 60s now. So segregation was still well in force at that time. So when you got drafted by San Diego, what were you expecting? I wasn't drafted by San Diego. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought San Diego drafted. How'd you end up with the Chargers? Well, I'll tell you a story. Uh, before the draft, I had gotten called from Houston, and I believe the Rams, who told me they were going to draft me. In the dormitory where I was living, my my room was right next to the uh, telephone booth. And I wouldn't let anybody use the phone all day expecting a phone call. And uh, I, a phone call that I never got. And, do, and during those days, there were 20 uh, picks, not just selling like they are now. And I stood by the phone. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Waiting on a phone call that never came. Uh, the next day, I got a call from the Baltimore coach who said they were going to send, they wanted to sign me up for agent. 
and I asked them how much money, how much bonus money was I going to get. They told me they were going to give me bonuses, the friends. So then I got a call from uh, a guy in Daytona Beach by the name of Bud Asher, who was scouting for the Chargers at the time. And uh, he called, I think, Al Local Sad a long time, uh, but uh, Al David in Oakland was working with the Chargers at the time, and they uh, came up and gave me $750 for a bonus, and I jumped at it. The next day, after that, the Miami Dolphins called me, Joe Thomas, and told me, Larry, how would you like to come back and play at home in Miami? I said, well, uh, I would have loved to come to Miami to play, but I've already signed with San Diego. I'm going to sign with San Diego. And he said, how much money uh, did he get? I'm going to ask him, how much money you going to give me? Bonus money. And he told me $500. And well, San Diego gave you 750 so I'm going to San Diego. So did you did you drive cross country? Yes. Uh, a teammate of mine, a running back by the name of John Knight, and we both signed the fridge in San Diego. And when I came to Miami, Joe Thomas made the trade for me to come to Miami for my high school teammate. And uh, Sid Gilman, who was my coach in San Diego at the time, uh, called it a nothing-for-nothing deal. I don't know if two teammates have been ever traded head up like uh, Matt Graham and myself. So when you joined Miami, they were an up-and-coming team because, I mean, they were having some problems till Don Chua got there. Well, I, I really didn't want to come to Miami because, uh, you know, they were in an expansion team. And uh, in San Diego, we weren't winning championships, but we were winning. You know, there was a lot of talent on the team that I played with in San Diego. We had guys like Lance Hallsworth, uh, Ron Mitz, John Hayden was the quarterback, Paul Lover, a great running back, and uh, and Miami was uh, winning, you know, and I wanted to play for a winner. And uh, I was when I was traded in Miami, traded to Miami uh, for one year. I played under George Wilson. Then they fired George and brought uh, Don Schuler in 1970. Now, when you originally went to San Diego, you you were going to be a defensive tackle, right? Yeah, they signed me as a no defensive tackle nose guy, right? Which side of the ball did you enjoy better? Well, early in my college career, you had to play both ways. Until not until my senior year, when you had the uh, you could play offensive defense. So I, I was accustomed to playing both offense. So it didn't matter with me. All only thing I wanted was an opportunity to prove myself. And when I got there, uh, you see Gilman time all the guys in pads, shorts and shoulder pads. And I ran a four nine forty in pads. So a couple of, I was there. What happened? They bought in the free agents before they bought in the rookie drafted rookies. And you can imagine how I felt when I picked up the San Diego Union and read well. Well, see, given bring bring a lot of free agents. Maybe one or two may stick around when the regular drafted rookies get in. And I felt kind of insulted. And that upset me because I thought I was going to have a chance to compete against all the rookies, not just the fringe rookies. 
So what happened, uh, I made it through that first week, and it's, I'm, I'm glad it happened because I was able to get some experience a week up on the rookie level coming in. And um, the first four games that I played, I was on the taxi squad, what they call the taxi squad back then, just like the, uh, the guys were not playing today. And uh, after the fourth game, I was activated to the regular roster. Did you think no. that once you got activated to the regular roster, you basically had it set, or were you worried every week that you might get cut? No, I wasn't worried because they had me on special team, and I was a pretty good special team guy because of my speed and my size and speed. And uh, but I tell you, when I thought I was going to get cut, I omitted this, but they moved me to fullback for two days before I moved to guard. And uh, they said I could be the next Jim Nance. But I thought they were moving me there because they were getting ready to cut to cut me. But then uh, Joe Madro, who was offensive line coach, we had Bum Phillips, was my defensive line coach. And Joe Madro wanted me to try to be out on the, the offensive side of the board. And I guess you can see the rest of the history. Yeah. Did they ever let you carry the ball? Or did you just slot no, over? No, I uh, I was catching passes coming out of the backfield. <laughs> and what I like to tell people, I was an athlete playing guard. What was it like when Don Shula came to the Dolphins? Well, you could tell it was, it would be a whole different atmosphere than was with George Wilson, i tell you that. Uh, on a hot day during summer, doing two of their practices, George Wilson would tell us, oh, it's too damn hot to practice, go jump in the pool. No way would Don Shula ever do that. We practice through any kind of heat, and we practice very, very hard. We, we were probably the hardest practicing in football. I don't think anybody worked as hard as we did. Now, when Shula was with, with the Colts, he had a chance to sign you, but he didn't. Did, did you say to yourself, wait a second, what's going on here? No, I don't know if you even, you know, you have scouts out there looking, just looking at people to bring the camp. I don't think he probably even heard of me. Because he built that lineup from basically brought you in, Jim Langer, you had Kuchenberg. You had one of the top lines of all time. Yeah, all of us were castaways. Uh, Wayne Moore. Came to the league of the next basketball player at a Lamar Tech in Texas, and was on the San Diego's uh, calf squad. Uh, was cut by the uh, Atlanta Falcons, I believe, or the Philadelphia Eagles, one of them. Jim Langer was a free linebacker at Cleveland, and uh, who they released in Miami Board and he made a sell out of. And Norm Evans came to Miami in the expansion draft, and myself came out in a trade. Yeah, I mean, you guys had the no-name defense, but the, the off, offensive line was, was even more no-name than the no-name defense. Yeah, and you know, we had a great offensive line coach, too, and Monty Clark. And I think Monty got the best out of all of us. And the pressure was really on that line because, I mean, you guys never passed the ball much, but you had a block for Mercury Morris and Larry Zonka. And Jim Kick. And Jim Kick. You know, and uh, yeah, we took a lot of one thing we did have. We had a lot of pride on the offensive line. Uh, we like to call ourselves the best in the business. And we always took that attitude on the field with us when we went to play a game. Now, if I understand correctly, when you were with the Chargers, you acquired the, 
the nickname of Chicken Little because of your uh, eating prowess. Actually, I got that name. Uh, we were training in uh, Escondido, California. And uh, the first night out, we had a chance to go into the city of San Diego, right next to uh, Paul Lowe's nightclub, or a place called Brady Key Fried Chicken. Brady Key, they played professional football, too, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that particular night, it was soul food chicken place, fried chicken. And I ate a whole chicken and drank a fifth of uh, ripple wine. And that name, Chicken, they started calling me Chicken Little. The guys, the veterans, started calling me Chicken Little. And it followed me all the way down to Miami. And I'm still called Chicken to this day by a lot of my teammates. With the money you were making, why were you drinking Ripple? You should have been drinking some expensive wine. With the money I was making? Right. <laughs> I don't even know if I bought this. So the rest might have bought it for me. <laughs> Because now, I mean, can you imagine giving your teammates Ripple when you celebrate when another team loses a game and you keep your unbeaten streak alive? I don't think Bunakani would drink it. No, I don't drink. I wouldn't drink no Ripple now if somebody gave it to me. <laughs> now, one of the challenges you, you face in your career that was, you know, more daunting than the defensive lineman you went up against was your weight. How how tough was that? Because you know, all of a sudden you got Shula installing this uh, weight limit of two sixty five, and if you're over, it's ten dollars a pound. And how, how did you how did you battle the weight? Well, it wasn't that hard uh, because when he first met me. Uh, when I went to his press conference, when he became he was becoming head coach, uh, I was weighing 285 pounds. Like, that's what I played at my first year in Miami under George Wilson. So I went up to him and said, hey, coach, my name is Larry Little, and I'm one of your guards. First thing he asked me was, uh, how much do you weigh? And I said, oh, yeah, 285. I thought, it was all right, that's all right. He said, uh, okay, and walked off just like that. When I got the letter to report to Canada, when you report, he says, uh, I want your weight to be at 265 pounds. Said, Damn, I haven't been this small and I don't know how long. But, uh, you know, I knew something I had to do, and, and I'll tell you what it did. It made me a better football player. And I realized that. When I was, it made me faster and more agile. So, you know, uh, he knew what was best for me. And uh, and I accepted it. How hard was it on Paul Warfield to be part of the Dolphins, knowing that they weren't going to throw the ball much, they were a running team, and he was a Hall of Fame-type receiver? Paul was the consummate pro. Paul did whatever it took to help the football team win. And he should have had a better teammate than Paul Warfield. Uh, although we didn't throw the ball, but people in the league knew how good he was. Paul said 21 passes, and he voted all pro. Because people knew how good he was. And he was just one of the great pass receiver. Paul was a great downfield block also. 
another member of the offensive line that we didn't talk about was your tight end, Mark Fleming, who had been with the uh, the Packers and won a Super Bowl. What was he like? Marv more veteran leadership teams and football teams. And uh, we got veteran leadership from people like Paul and Marvin that came to Miami and guys that have been on winning teams. And to this day, I still say uh, Marv Fleming was the best blocking tight end to ever play the game. Uh, Marv made my job very easy to pull out on sweeps. Because I knew you were caving man down and get me and I could get around that corner much easier. Great teammate. When you played in your first Super Bowl, Super Bowl six against the Cowboys, what was that like? It was an awesome experience. Uh we uh you know, me just two years before that, we was uh three ten and one. Two years later, we were in the Super Bowl. And uh, it was a great experience. A lot of a lot of times things have usually just happened to be there. Yeah, we were happy to be there, but we would be with there expecting to win. But we were just beaten by a better football team that year uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. The offense you had, were you able to focus mostly on just the run blocking because you had Bob Greasy back there? But, he, you know, if he threw 15, 20 passes in a game, that would be a lot for him. Yeah, it would be Bob, and you see the thing too, Bob is another unselfish player. Bob called his own plays. And, uh, you know, he knew what his strength was. Well, he had a great wide receiver in Warfield, but he knew our main strength was the offensive line and then our running backs. And he knew that uh, if we did our job, and which we did it too very well, uh, we would be in a position to win football games. Keep going to from getting the football. Did you realize what a historic season that was when you went undefeated? Repeat that again, please. Did you realize what you guys were accomplishing that year when you went undefeated, how good your team was? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, when we lost to Dallas in the Super Bowl, our main goal the next year was to come back and go to get back to the Super Bowl and win it. And uh, that was our whole attitude at the beginning of training camp. We saw the film of the Dallas game, and Shula stood up in front of the team and said, you see how you feel now? And then you see how you felt then? You don't want to have that feeling again. So we got to go back to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. And that was our attitude, going back and winning it. But we weren't talking about going undefeated. We never really talked about it. We just, it just kept happening. We, we played a lot of close games that year, too, but we always found a way to win. Having grown up in Miami, did you have to buy a lot of tickets for family and friends to come to all the Dolphins games? Yes. <laughs> well, basically my family. And uh, I was single for a long time. So, you know, I had to buy it for ladies, too. But they never sat next to each other. We she would be in meetings, and he would say, uh, he would say all right, uh, how many tickets you need to get to me? I said, I need like six, one over here, one over there, and one over there. <laughs> so you were in Miami before South Beach became the craze that it is now. Well, when I was coming up, South Beach was a place where older people used to come to die. Now they come to South Beach to live. 
Not yeah, people, not normal people, but the younger people coming up to him. Well, you know, it, it, it was old people. It was uh, hippies, or you know, people well, just hanging, people just hanging out. Older people, you know, a lot of Jewish people, older Jewish people, come to South Beach. That's where they were coming during the winter, and then come up north and come back here and uh, come down here when it's cold. That Super Bowl that you won, Super Bowl Seven. I think that was the only time you ever see a safety be the MVP of the Super Bowl. How surprising was that? Well, Jay had a great game. But if they could have given out two trophies that day, Manny Fernandez would have gotten one too. I think Manny had like 17 tackles in that game. But Jay, you know, Jay made some big plays in there, so uh, he deserved it. And he was a great football player. And then after that 73 season, Santa Kick Warfield signed to play in the World Football League. And Joe Robbie, who's the owner, makes you the first $100,000 season guard in the NFL. What was going through your head when all that happened? Yeah. First, I'm not a lot of linemen. You know, I was disappointed that they were leaving. But I was happy for them that they were going to get paid when he got paid. And uh, when Zonka called me to tell me that uh, they were leaving, he was leaving, and that told us Zonka kept me with me. You know, <laughs> we had done so much, uh, we had accomplished so much in Miami that, you know. But the thing is, I do believe if those three guys hadn't left, we really would have had a dynasty for a long time. I mean, you guys, you could have surpassed what the Packers accomplished under Lombardi because... I really believe, I really believe that, yes. Who was the toughest guy you went up against? It was probably Joe Green. Uh, we, we had some great battles against each other. Uh, one thing, Joe intimidated a lot of offensive line guards, but he didn't intimidate me. And uh, but Joe, we had great battles. Joe, the, and uh, the, the strongest guy I played the games with was Curly Cope, who was going into the Hall of Fame this year. And the quickest guy I had to play in front of was uh, Mike Greaves, who played for the Bengals. But all around, Joe had all things quick, strong, and nasty. Well, I was going with my ass on. Now, early on in your career, you established a, a summer camp in Miami. How'd that come about? Well, it was some guys that, that were in Miami before I got here. A guy by the name of Dick Westmoreland. And uh, Dick had come to Miami from San Diego. And, uh, you know, he came to a group of us one day. He may want to be start a boys camp. So, okay, yeah, that's a good, great idea with me being from Miami and... And, uh, you know, it'll be something good for me to start giving back to the community. But what happened, Dick was traded to Minnesota. So that dropped the ball in my hands, and, uh, and two of my good friends and teammates, uh, Freddie Woods and Rudy Bala, uh, Rudy was my, also my college teammate and went to Florida A&M. So we took it, and we ran it for 15 years, and... 
And uh, we were very proud of what we did. What we did was we would get kids from different areas in Dade and Broward County and bring them to camp for a week. Now, the first year we had it, we struggled. We had it on South Beach. And we had tents for the kids to sleep in. And uh, the first night we had them there, it rained. And we didn't have any cots. So I asked uh, Coach Fru to come out and talk to the guys. He, he and Money Clark came out there. And uh, he saw how we were we had two old ladies who retired cafeteria workers do the cooking for us. And she uh, saw how we were struggling. And he gave us $200 to help carry us along. We had for only one week. And then he went to Joe, Joe Robbie and told Robbie what we were trying to do. And the Dolphins took it over to uh, help subsidize it. And until uh, it was time for me to get a contract. And Joe's, <laughs> me and Joe, said, hey, now you know uh, what we're doing for you and your boss. He said, well, Joe, that doesn't have anything to do with my performance on the football field. So I uh, we got to get away from this. So we went to... Uh, we were headed at Biscayne College. We were kids who stay at Biscayne College. They could see. We had to keep them for a week, send them home, bring another group in the next week. And then we went to the United Way. One of my college friends worked for the United Way at the time, and we went to him, and uh, the United Way took it over. But we ran it for 15 years. Those training camps, those first couple with the Dolphins, I heard were tough, the, not only the practices, but the conditions you guys were living in weren't that great. Well, we were living at Michigan College, so it was, you know, it was a, we had dormitory rooms. So it wasn't that bad. Now, before I came, I heard we were training, when we first got started training in St. Petersburg, I heard that they were terrible, but, you know, I didn't have any luxury living anywhere in no way. We did have a team in the room, but that was luxury to me. <laughs> Was Mercury Morris as talkative on the football field as he has been after, you know, since his career has been over? Yes. Mercury never saw a microphone that he didn't like. <laughs> He's always been there. As a matter of fact, when he came to Miami, he came the same year. He was drafted that year. And I saw this guy walking, running his mouth. With red pants, old ivory pants, with the buckle in the back. And I said, Who is this guy? I didn't know him at first. And we really didn't get along when we first met because he was from the north and I was from the south. And he thought he had more sense to me. And I had we always, we always clashed about something. And, but now, you know, we're like best friends forever. Could you imagine Mercury? Could, could you uh, imagine Mercury playing in today's game? He'd be on Twitter, Facebook all the time. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> he'd, be all, he'd be all over the place. He'd, he'd be on that more than Chad Johnson. Speaking of football players named Johnson, did, did anybody have a better afro than Curtis Johnson, who's a, a defensive back on your teams? Nobody had a better afro than CJ. Maybe Otto Stone was close to him. He was a backup receiver for us. And Henry Stuckey. Uh, see, I only had a minute throw back in those days, but I don't know how CJ did it. And to see him now, we would have to sneak back. 
and he was like, what, 190 when he played? Now he was about 290. (laughs) How did they get get those helmets on with that much hair? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think the media is overblown that you guys enjoy watching teams lose so you guys are the last undefeated team? I do. Because, uh, we don't, it's not that we cheat for them to lose. We just cheat that we have another year being undefeated. Does that make any kind of sense? You know, the Patriots came close. Is anybody, nobody's gonna do better than an undefeated season. Is anybody gonna match what you guys did? Well, somebody can match it, but they won't surpass us. And then we would always be the first team on that mountain top. And then just join us on that mountain top. You know, people call us, you know what? She would make the best comment I ever heard and make all the years I've known him. When we had our reunion this past December, she would say that a lot of people, to be a, lot, a bunch of grumpy old men, but the hell with them. <laughs> you guys yeah. are you guys are in the right to be grumpy with that season. That's right. I totally agree. You know, I mean, and you know what I mean. A lot of people look at what we did in '72, but hell, we lost only two games in two years, and uh, six games in three years. Now I think that's one hell of an accomplishment. All right. Well, that hour went by quickly. I'd like to thank our two guests, Don Shula and Larry Little, and our executive producer, as always, Dave Olson. Tune in again next week for Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Talk Zone.